Are we good now? All right, very good. Oh, man, I love to praise the Lord. I love to sing his songs. I love to uh, worship together with my brothers and sisters here at Calvary Baptist Church. Uh, And, you know, when we gather together for worship, it's not about us. It, It makes us feel good. Let's be honest about that. But worship is not about us. It's about our great God and declaring his worth and adoring him for who he is. All right, And it's not really even about what he has done for us, although if he didn't do that for us, we wouldn't want to worship him. But it really is. It's all about who God is. We have an awesome God, we have an amazing God, and we have a God who loves us. And so we worship him uh, in spirit and in truth. All right, we're going to finish, believe it or not, 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning, okay? Um, And as we finish chapter 4 of this book that Peter was writing uh, to those individuals who had been scattered abroad, who were under persecution, who were struggling and wondering why life was so difficult and and how come things weren't getting any better, um, we will come to the end of this idea of suffering for Christ in Peter's writings. Some of you say, boy, it's about time. He spent a lot of time talking about suffering. Um, And we agreed last week that none of us really want to suffer. None of us really enjoy suffering. None of us are raising their hand and say, I'll be next. Bring it to me. I'm ready for it. No, none of us are doing that. Okay, But Peter said last week, uh, through the Holy Spirit, we shouldn't think it's strange if God calls us to suffer. It should, be, it should be something that we actually expect. And why do we expect it? Well, because Jesus said, if the world hated me, they will hate you also. Okay, So it shouldn't be something that's out of the ordinary. Now, let's admit that as believers in Christ who have lived most of our lives in the good old U.S. of A., uh, we haven't had to face a lot of suffering. We haven't faced the idea of persecution for the cause of Christ. And that's a blessing that God has poured out upon us uh, because we have been a nation that for many, many years, um, favored God. We, we trusted God. We desired to serve God. Uh, that was our foundation. That was the principles on which our great country was founded. But, you know, we're not there anymore. Let's not be deceived. Let's not try to fool ourselves into thinking that we are still a Christian nation. Because if we look around, it's very easy to see that we are very far away from where we once were. And, and God has been removed from our classrooms. God has been removed uh, from many homes. I mean, sad to say, God has been removed from many churches. I mean, you can go to churches across our country where God is not proclaimed. The scriptures are not used. When the person stands up behind the pulpit, he doesn't say, open your Bible to a particular text. And that is what we are committed to here at Calvary Baptist Church. We want you to bring your Bible with you every Sunday. Yes, we put the scriptures, some of them up on the screen, but I deliberately don't put every scripture up on the screen. And some people have said, Pastor, can't you put up all the Bible verses? Nope. Well, I mean, I could, but I'm not going to. Why? Because I want you to bring your Bible to church. And if we cease to be a Bible-oriented church, Please close the doors or kick me out, because you know, or whoever the pastor might be at that time, because that's not what a church is supposed to be. A church is a called out group of people who are to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ and who are to live based on the pages of Scripture. 
That's who we need to be. And, and so let's pray that we will always be that. A family of believers committed to the cause of Christ in the pages of Scripture. Now, having said that, Peter wants us to be ready. Because we may have to stand during difficult times. We, we need to be ready. I, I don't know about you, but I played a game when I was growing up where we used this phrase, ready or not. What comes after that? Ready or not. Here I come. Okay, we played hide and seek a lot. In fact, I know that some of our kids play hide and seek. In fact, they play it in church. Okay, um, and, and, and you know, there's one person who goes to a, a, a specific spot that's home base, and they, they say, okay, you have to count two, and it depends on how far you're going to spread out and how high you count. Um, hopefully, it's not too high that you don't know how to count that high. But anyway, you count to whatever the number is. Maybe it's 50. Okay, or maybe it's 20. And at the end of your counting, you holler out, ready or not, here I come. And if you have not found your hiding spot by that time, you quickly look for someplace, even though it's not the perfect spot, you got to hide because somebody's coming to look for you. Well, Peter's hollering out to his readers, ready or not, but he's not talking about somebody coming to find them because they're playing a game. He's saying, ready or not, suffering may very well come your way. And you better be trusting the Lord. You better be walking with the Lord. You better be standing fast in the truths of God's word. Let's stand together. We're only going to look at three verses this morning. Okay, First Peter chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. My wife asked me, uh, as I told her what I was preaching, I told her the text, because she always wants to know the text so she can incorporate it into the, the, the PowerPoint and this proclaim thing. Uh, I told her, it's only three verses, and she said, yeah, I wondered why you didn't finish it off last week. And then she said, after I read the verses, I realized why you didn't finish it off, okay? So there was too much in it to try and tack it on to the end, um, and maybe there's not enough here, but you know me, I never have a hard time filling up the time. So anyway, as we read together from God's word, let's uh, honor the Lord by standing together. Peter writes this, First Peter four seventeen through 19, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Let's ask God to bless our time together as we look into his word and continue our worship in that way. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you so much for the pages of Scripture, your word. Uh, Father, we know that men wrote these words, but we also know that they were holy men of God who were moved along by your Holy Spirit. So what we have uh, in the pages of Scripture are the inspired word of Almighty God. Uh, and Father, we are thankful that you have preserved for us accurate translations that we hold in our hands today, that we read and that we are committed to following. 
We ask, Lord, that you would bless our time together as we study more from the book of 1 Peter. Uh, We've been studying a lot, talking a lot about suffering. Uh, And Lord, we're going to wrap that up this morning and again be thankful for the fact that you have called us to be your children and sometimes that calling leads us down a road of suffering. And we're so thankful that we don't suffer alone, but your grace is sufficient. Your your strength is made perfect in our weakness. And as we suffer, we bring glory and honor to your name. Thank you. In Jesus's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as I said, we've spent several weeks now talking about this idea of suffering. Peter's concern for his beloved caused him to write to them about suffering and to equip them so that they were ready to go through whatever might come their way. Last week, we talked about this idea of the fiery trials and how unpleasant that was or could very well become for the followers of Jesus that were living close to the area of where Nero was reigning. Okay, um, But now Peter's changing gears just a little bit here. He's going to continue talking about uh, difficult things that might come our way. But he says here uh, that I want you to be ready for um, the judgment that is going to come. Now, in our minds, we might find ourselves in a bit of turmoil here because as Christians, we have long thought, or maybe some of you have anyway, thought that God doesn't judge me. I know we, we tell everybody else, don't judge that person. You don't judge me. You can't judge me. And, and to a degree, that is correct. We, we are not to judge, especially one's spiritual, one's salvation. That's not our, our spot. That's not our role to be the judge of one's salvation. That is only left up to Jesus Christ because he's the one who died on the cross. He's the one who draws all men to himself. Okay, so uh, the, the one who judges salvation is, is Jesus himself, God, if you will, uh, judges the hearts of men because he alone knows the hearts of men. But you and I, to a degree, are called to judge. And by that, I mean we are called to agree with God and agree with the pages of Scripture. So when we judge, we are simply agreeing with what God says in the pages of Scripture. People have said to me when I've confronted them over sin, you don't have any right to judge me. And I would say to them, well, actually, you know what? I'm just pointing out what Scripture says and agreeing with God. So it's God who's doing the judging. I'm just the tool that God uses to point that out. Now, I'm thankful that I don't have to do that all the time. And it's not fun. It's not easy. It is difficult when when a pastor has to confront somebody because they're living in sin. And so um, we are called to judge in the fact that we must agree with God's word and help people to um, submit to the standard of God's word. But Peter's talking about a different judgment here. He says, for the time has come for judgment. Peter wants the household of God, the Christians, the believers, to be ready for this judgment. It's not simply persecution from the hand of a ruler. It's not suffering that comes from following after Jesus. This is something far more than those possible situations that believers may face. So as we look at verse 17 of 1 Peter chapter 4, we are going to look for a few moments at this imminent judgment The first phrase of verse 17 is, for the time has come, okay? You know, so that we have the idea of imminent. It happened, and this judgment can happen at any moment. At any point, judgment could befall the child of God. And you say, Pastor, I don't understand. Why are you telling me that Christians are going to be judged? I thought Jesus' death on the cross satisfied that judgment. Well, who is Peter writing to in 1 Peter? 
He's writing to who? The church. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to those who are suffering persecution for being followers of Jesus Christ. And he says now to us here in verse 17, the time has come for judgment in the house of God. This phrase is pointing us back to the admonitions given in verses 15 and 16, where Peter warns his readers and Christians in general that they must be prepared for what is to come. He talked about the fiery trial, okay? That word fiery trial in verse 12 was something that would purify those who are followers of Christ. So when we talk about this idea of judgment, God for believers is not judging their salvation. That's already been settled. That's already been dealt with on the cross of Calvary. But, you know, uh, I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to raise your hand. Since the day you got saved, anybody never sinned since that day? If so, raise your hand, please. I don't see any hands. Why are there no hands? Yeah, even though we're Christians, we're still sinners. But praise God, we're not condemned sinners. We are redeemed sinners. And when we sin, we have this privilege of confessing our sin to God, and God forgives us of that sin. But sometimes we find ourselves sinning and actually kind of enjoying it not allowing the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to draw us away from that sin, but staying there and living there and enjoying it. And I'm not going to start off with a list of sins, but you know, when we don't live the way God wants us to live, when we live contrary to to the directions that we find in the pages of Scripture and enjoy it, you know what happens? God has to judge He doesn't judge to condemn because that's been settled. He judges to purify. He judges to bring us back into a right relationship with Him. He judges the church. He judges His body, much like a parent disciplines their children. There's another question. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Have you ever been disciplined by your parents? Raise your hand. How come everybody's raising their hands? Because we're not perfect. We've sinned. And can I ask, you don't have to raise your hand on this one. Um, any, any of you enjoyed that sin maybe for a season when you were disobeying your parents? Maybe you're still there enjoying that sin. And God doesn't want you to, just like parents are disciplining you for a reason because they want you to grow up, they want you to first understand that God wants you to be uh, one of his children, so they, they, they help you understand that. Uh, and then as you do things that you know you shouldn't do, you, you, you break the rules at home, there's various kinds of discipline that they enact upon you. Sometimes it's grounding, sometimes it's taking away a privilege, sometimes it's a timeout, sometimes it's a spanking, okay? Um, and they do that, and how, okay, you know, also know this one, right? When, when a parent gives you discipline, um, and, and then they come to you afterwards, and they talk to you, and they explain why they disciplined you, what do they always say? I'm doing this because I love you. We've all heard that, right? Why? Because it's true, 
parents, especially godly parents, Christian parents, don't enjoy disciplining their children. You've also heard this hurts me more than it hurts you, right? Heard that. But again, it's true. You see, and God is doing the same thing to us sometimes. When he has to, he disciplines us. And Peter says, this judgment begins in the household of God. This word, this phrase, household of God, it's a common phrase. It's a common reference for the church. Paul uses it with a further explanation when he writes to Pastor Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he says, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves. Where? In the house of God. Now, he's not talking about the building, per se. He's talking about the body of Christ. So you may know yourself how to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Why is that true about the church? Why is the church the, the house of God, of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth? Because we commit ourselves to the pages of this book, the pages of Scripture. We commit ourselves to doing what Scripture says, and, and we strive to be obedient to the pages of of the word of God. Back in chapter 2, Peter uses a similar phrase when he wrote, "You also as living stones, you can you also as living stones are being built up to a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ." Now, I've mentioned this before and I mentioned it even earlier this morning that in the West we have become pretty soft. When it comes to Christianity, we, we've come to expect a life of somewhat ease, okay? Um, compared to others around the world and others throughout the history of the church, we have had it very easy. It makes me think of the, the hymn writer Isaac Watts. You might remember this, uh, this verse when he writes, Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? While others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. We can't, we have to ask ourselves that question. And, and you know, the longer we live in this world, and as uh, we, we approach the coming of our, the, the hopeful soon return of our Savior, those flowery beds of ease may become less and less a way of life for us. And Peter wants us to be ready to understand we may face that persecution. No matter where we are, who we are, if judgment is needed, God will bring that judgment to his children. You know, when you're driving down the road and you're going 100 miles an hour, it doesn't matter what the speed limit is on the road because you're breaking it. Okay? And, and why does the police officer turn on his flashing lights and pull you over? It's not because he doesn't like you, but it's because he's concerned about the safety and the well-being of others, and even you. So he stops you from doing what you're doing, he issues a penalty for you, and you have to deal with that penalty. No matter who you are, you have to deal with the flashing red lights in the background. Now you see, uh, we understand that God allows persecution into our lives, The Bible Knowledge Commentary makes this thought um, to us. It says, God allows persecution as disciplinary judgment to purify the lives of those in the family of God. If you're living in sin and God doesn't judge that sin, you better stop and ask a question. Am I part of the family of God? 
Because if you are a believer and you're living in sin and there's no judgment coming to you, there's a good chance that you're not a child of God. And you need to take care of that. You need to deal with that. Okay? Um, So we want to make sure that judgment is not indiscriminate. Okay? It comes when it's needed. Persecution may be indiscriminate. But judgment is not. Judgment is purposeful. Judgment is uh, it's specific for whatever it is that we are doing and needs correction in our lives. And, and God judges us to help bring us to the point where we long to be right with God and where we refuse to allow that sin to take root in our lives and break the fellowship that we have with Him. God's judgment in the life of the child of God is not necessarily punitive, Okay? I want you to understand that. God's judgment in your life, if you are a believer, is not punitive, but rather is restorative. God wants to restore you into fellowship with him. Why? Because he enjoys having sweet fellowship with you. He loves it when you talk to him in prayer. He loves it when you worship him in song. Even if you're the only one singing, he loves it. And he doesn't care what you sound like. Praise God. You see, God wants to fellowship with you, but if you're living in sin, he can't. So he judges you to bring you back into a right relationship with him. MacArthur makes the following comment. He says, it is infinitely better for people to endure suffering with joy now as believers, what Peter was talking about earlier in the chapter and earlier in the book. It's better to suffer with joy now as believers being purified for effective testimony and eternal glory than to later bear eternal torment as an unbeliever. If you're here this morning and you think you're saved, but you don't, sin doesn't bother you, then God's doing something in your heart. He's saying, hey, you need to pay attention. You need to wake up. You need to get right with me. Otherwise, you will be separated from me forever. And then he, he shifts gears a little bit. He goes from talking about the household of God to talking about the hopeless heathen. Okay? He says to those who do not obey the gospel of God, those who do not know Jesus as their Savior, you are not going to face restorative judgment. You are going to face punitive condemnation from God. If God judges his own children, Peter is saying here, What do you think he's going to do to those who have rejected him? If you and I, as followers of Christ, face the judgment of God to bring us back into a right relationship with him, what is God going to do to those who have rejected Jesus Christ, say that he's not the Son of God, he's not the Messiah, he's just some man, and we don't have to listen to him, we don't have to accept his gift, we don't have to believe in him, what is going to happen to them? Can I tell you this? You don't want to be where they will be. Okay? John describes it over in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. John talks about those hopeless heathens, those who have rejected Christ. Listen to what he says. Then I saw a great throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, the earth and the sky fled away, and there was no place found for them. No more hide and seek, my friends. 
No more ready or not, here I come. You are standing, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is where you will be, before the great white throne judgment of the Almighty King. And John says in verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and small. Can I remind you of something else? That word dead, it doesn't mean physically dead. Okay? When the Bible talks about death, it it doesn't talk about you ceasing to exist. The dead, those who are separated from God. That's what dead means in Scripture. Separated from God. Okay, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead, those who are separated from God, were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And we might add there, according to what they had not done. Okay, You know what they had not done? Every person who's going to stand at the great white throne judgment, you know what's true of them? They've not trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They have rejected Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done, rejecting Christ. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, He or she was thrown into the lake of fire. There's no coming back from that. That is eternal separation from God. It is, as Scripture says, the second death. You don't want to stand at the great white throne judgment. So while you are here on this earth, you want to deal with that issue of sin. It doesn't matter if you think you've been a good person your whole life. It doesn't matter who your mom and dad were. It doesn't matter that you went to church every day of your life or every Sunday of the, of the year. It doesn't matter. What matters is whether you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior or not. Pastor, why are you harping on that? We can't talk about a more important subject. Knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. I trust that everyone in this room has done that. I trust that everyone has a moment in time where they remember bowing their heart and head before Almighty God, confessing their sins, trusting Christ as their Savior. All of our online viewers, uh, I, I know these folks far better than I know many of you, so I say the same thing to you. If you are here this morning watching, listening online, and you've never bowed your heart and head before Almighty God and, and trusted Christ as your personal Savior, please, do that today. Can't, I can't stress it enough. Because if you don't, you will stand before Almighty God. You will stand in the presence of God and you will be judged for what you have done. And I just realized I have a big thing that i got to see if I can quickly sort out because the rest of my notes aren't here. Uh, let's see. All right, well, hey, we're going to go on, even though the notes aren't here. We're, we're going to look here at verse 
18, and we're going to talk about the irrevocable truth. What is this truth here that Peter is talking about? He says in verse 18, Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Peter is talking about here the everlasting salvation of the saints. The everlasting salvation. You and I who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have this great hope. We have this great understanding, this great truth. Nothing, nothing can take away our salvation from us. Nobody can say to you, you know what, you've blown it so bad that you've lost your salvation. We call it everlasting life. What does everlasting mean? Without end. Those who know Christ as their Savior will never die. What did I say dying dead is? Separation from God. None of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ will die, will be separated from God for all of eternity. Why not? Because of who hung on the cross and who satisfied the wrath of God, who took the wages of sin upon himself. He died in our place so that we might live, so that we might be redeemed. What a blessing. Everlasting salvation for the saints. Oh, hallelujah. To God be the glory. Where will you spend eternity? In the presence of God Almighty. I asked Timothy to cue up a song for us this morning. Sorry for you folks online, you're probably going to miss the song. But the song is called The Hymn of Heaven. You may have heard it on the radio. It is a new song uh, by Phil Wickham. Uh, and, and so you may not have heard it on the radio. But I want you to listen to the reminder. What is true for you and I as children of God? And, and someday we're going to spend eternity in heaven. And you know what? I can't wait to get there. What did, Paul, what did John say at the end of Revelation? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. And when he comes, we're taken into his presence for all of eternity, and we will understand the reality of this song, this song that is called the hymn of heaven. Looks like we're having computer issues this morning. Hallelujah.
And on that day, when we join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith, what a glorious day that will be. Faith will become sight, and we'll walk side by side with those who love our great God. But I love the part that the song goes on and it says, it doesn't just say when that day comes. It goes on and says, so let it be today that we shout the hymn of heaven with the angels and the saints. We raise a mighty roar. Wouldn't it be a wonderful blessing if the church of God were roaring so loud that the noise of Satan were drowned out? And the hymn of heaven was what the people of our world heard all the time. The hymn of heaven. Even so, no wonder John said, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come even today. You know what? The Yankees are on an eight or nine game winning streak. I don't care. If Jesus came back today, I'd give it up. Who cares? Come get us, Lord. We're ready to go home to be with you for all of eternity. That, my friends, is the everlasting salvation of the saints. You and I, who know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Can you believe it? We're called saints? Yes. You and I, as bad as we once were, are now saints of the living God because of the death of Christ on the cross of Calvary. There's a contrast here, though. Um, Peter goes on in verse 18 to talk about the eventual outcome for the unbeliever. He's already mentioned it here um, in, in talking about the fact that the, the hopeless heathen, those who do not obey the gospel of God, but he mentions it again in verse 18 where he says, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? They will appear at the great white throne judgment of Jesus Christ. The great white throne judgment is not a playtime. It's not a fun time. It's not simply a little time out for being naughty. It is the last place you will stand before you are cast into the lake of fire. People talk and they laugh and they joke about hell. It's not something to joke about. You don't go there and get kicked out for selling ice cubes. You go there and you stay there. Just as you and I who know Christ as our Savior will go to heaven for eternity and will have eternal life, those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior suffer, experience eternal death. Forever separated from God in a place of torment. Like you and I will get a new body when we go to heaven to worship our great God for all of eternity. They will get a damnation body that will suffer and suffer and suffer. Even though it's burning for all of eternity, it will never burn to death completely. It will never cease to exist. If you have loved ones, if you have friends, if you have coworkers, you need to communicate this truth to them in a loving way that Jesus died to pay the penalty, save them from that damnation. The eventual outcome for the sinner is separation from God. I'm going to try to find a verse here that I had in my text or in my notes um, that describes that, uh, that damnation, that eternal, eternal separation from God.
Revelation chapter 21. Peter or John is describing what Peter's talking about. Those who are the unbelievers, those who will face um, this separation from God. Verse 6 of Revelation 21 says, And he said to me, Jesus talking to John, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts, if to he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. That's you and I. That's those who are everlasting saints. But verse 8, he talks about those who do not trust Christ as their, as their Savior. The, out, the eventual outcome for unbelievers is seen, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual immorality, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Those who find themselves identifying with those lifestyle characteristics in verses 8 and 9 will be separated from God for all of eternity. Their outcome is not pleasant. Their outcome is not something that you want. It is something that you definitely want to be freed from. But this irrevocable truth is the only way that we can be freed from this is by trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And then in verse 19 of 1 Peter chapter 4, we see the immovable hope that we have. Are you, immovable hope, maybe the words of that great song are beginning to go through your mind as you think about what awaits you and I. We're going to sing that song as our closing song, the immovable hope of God. But look at what he says here in verse 19. Peter says, therefore, okay, you know what, it's, you know what that means. Let's look back. We've already done that. Therefore, let those who suffer. Peter, why do we talk about suffering? God, why do I have to suffer? Peter says, therefore, those of you who suffer... According to the will of God, commit their souls to him who is doing good. When you and I suffer for doing what is good, for doing what is right, what are we doing? We are entrusting our souls to God. We are trusting God with that eternal aspect of who we are. That's what the soul is, that immaterial, it's going to last forever. I am trusting my soul to the one who can make a difference. And that is God. How do I do that? By continuing to do what is good. Even if I have to suffer for it? Even if you have to suffer for it. You keep doing good. You don't stop doing good. You continue to do good, and you do good, and you do good. Yes, it sometimes is difficult to do good. You do good even when people who you do good to do bad to you. You keep doing good. Why? Not because it makes you feel good. God said so. And even more than that, when we do what God tells us to do, God is glorified. God's name is exalted. God is lifted up. And when we exalt the name of God, when we glorify God, we have the privilege and the opportunity to use our testimonies to bring others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. People will often ask, Pastor, why do you ask for testimonies? Why do people have to give their testimonies to uh, the whole congregation before they can become a member of the church? Because God can use your story 
to change the story of another person. God can use your story to change the outcome of what somebody else may suffer for all of eternity. We want to be sure that we are entrusting our souls to the one who can make a difference, to God, who is the judge of eternal life. And then Peter closes with this idea of the who, who do we trust our hope to? Who do we trust our souls to? The, the, the enduring creator. Who is it that I'm trusting my soul to? Well, you know, we drove over to Horseheads yesterday, and it was a short drive, but we got to see some of the beauty of God. When we traveled um, uh, all over the Midwest to the east part of America, we got to travel and see some amazing things. We've gone out to um, Montana, and we've seen, uh, you, you know why they call it big sky country, right? That's, if you see Montana on their license plate, it says big sky. If you've never been to Montana, you probably can't understand it. But if you've been there, you look at the sky, it doesn't matter whether it's cloudy or it's not cloudy, whether it's sunny, whether it's sunset, whether it's night, you look out and it looks like you're kind of looking at the earth that is here and then the rest of it that you see is the sky. It just opens up in an amazing way. And you say, wow, that is amazing. How incredible it is to see my creator's handiwork. And then you get on an airplane, you fly over to South Africa, and you fly over um, that amazing waterfall on the Zambezi River in Zimbabwe. Oh my goodness. You look down and you see, "That that is huge. That is awesome. That is amazing. In fact, the pilot gets on the airplane and they say, look out your whatever side of the window you're looking out and you see the waterfalls. Oh, wow. And then you go and you drive along the coastline and you see all this other amazing... God is the creator of the world, the creator of the universe. He is so awesome that he didn't make any mistakes. We look at what's happening in our bodies. And, and every day we go to sleep, we wake up. Why? It's not by chance. It's because of what the Creator has done. He made it so we would do that. When we breathe out, we breathe out carbon dioxide. It's deadly for us, but you know what thrives on it? Plants. And when the plants take in our carbon dioxide that, they, that we breathe out, they produce what? oxygen that we need to live who designed that the creator who do i commit my soul to the creator what kind of creator is he he's a faithful creator he's an enduring creator he never gives up on us he never stops It's like the tide. When we would go down to the ocean, we would watch the tide. It would roll in and roll in and roll in and roll in. Wave after wave after wave. Hour after hour after hour. Day after day after day. Week after week after week. The 16 years that we lived there, it never stopped. We could drive by it every day and it just kept doing it. Why? Because we have a faithful creator. Why does the sun rise and sunset every day? Why is it springtime and harvest every year? 
Why is it that in May, sometimes June, we start to think, hey, maybe we're going to have some nice weather and we aren't going to see white stuff in the air anymore for a while? Because the Creator is faithful. The Creator endures. Our world, and I'm going to tell you this, our world is not going to be affected by greenhouse emissions. Our world is not going to stop revolving on its axis. The sun is not going to stop rising and setting because of what man does to the world. We cannot destroy this planet. Why? Because God is God. He's an enduring, faithful creator. Now let me tell you this. It doesn't mean that we should abuse our planet either. Because God has given us the stewardship of his creation. We should take care of it. We should treat it properly. But let's not get to the point where we think that we will destroy this planet. Not going to happen. Never will. The only time this planet is going to be destroyed is when God says it's time. And he's going to destroy it and fire such an intense fire there will not be anything left. And he's going to make a new one. A new heaven and a new earth and we're going to spend eternity in that heaven with our great God. Okay? So the enduring creator, is he he worthy for me to commit my soul to? Absolutely. 100%. He will never let me down. I wouldn't want to create or to, to commit my soul to anyone else than the creator of this universe. We, my friends, have an immovable hope. This hope remains. And it will never end until we reach the shore of eternity. Thank you, God for the promises that you have made to us. And I apologize that my notes are not there. Maybe I'll give the rest of it to you next week. Uh, But anyway, God is a God. You know what? He's sovereign. He knew that when I turned my laptop on this morning, I saw the first part, but it's what happens when you stay up till 1130 and go to a conference and you don't get to finish ahead of time. But anyway, God gave us this morning what we needed to hear. And so praise God for his sovereignty in my life. That's part of the immovable hope I have. God is in control and nothing will shake his control of our lives. He is who he says he is. He is coming back. He's taking us home. We'll spend eternity with him in heaven forever. And let's pray for those who don't have that hope at this point in, our, in their lives. That God will give us opportunity to share Christ with them and that they will see their need of salvation. The hope that, that we have can be theirs as well. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you so much for who you are. Father, you are the one true God. You are the creator of the universe. You are the giver of life. You are the sustainer of life. Father, you are life in and of itself. Father, you are the one who removes death from your children. Death, Father, is being eternally separated from you in a place called hell. And we're so thankful this morning that that is not our end. But our end is is eternity in your presence. Father, we ask that you would impress upon our hearts the importance of sharing the good news with others. Scott has told us this morning he's got tracks. They kind of make it easier. But Father, we all have a story to tell. Sometimes we say, I don't know what to say to other people. I don't know how to witness. We can just start with our story. We can start with what you've done to us and for us. 
We can start how you changed our lives. Some have um, what might be more dramatic stories to tell. Some, some have been saved out of horrendous lifestyles of sinfulness, debauchery. And those are great stories to hear that talk about your grace and your mercy. Some of us have been saved from that. Not saved out of it, but saved from it. And you know what? It's no greater feat for you to save us out of it than it is for you to save us from it. And so, Father, we say to you this morning, to God be the glory. Thank you for my salvation and help me to be bold enough to share the good news with others. Father, you and you alone can save, but we get to be the tools you use. So we pray that you might use us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.